And welcome on in to the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. He is George Bremer. I am Ryan Hickey. It is a Thursday, which means it is game preview time. Browns coming to town. And a lot of news around this game and around Colts world, George, we got to dive into. Daryl Ryder of 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland is going to join us to go behind enemy lines to talk about. But we'll ask him. I don't know if there's an answer, George, but we'll ask him. If there's any weakness in this Browns defense, what the hell is it? They've shown nothing so far through the first six games. Maybe Daryl can give us some sort of game plan here for this Colts offense, but uh, a hot take here to start off the pod, George. It seems very difficult for this Colts offense having any success on Sunday against this great Browns defense. Yeah, very, very difficult, historically difficult. Uh, and now there's, there's trouble on the other side, too. Uh, shortly after we wrapped – uh, our podcast on Tuesday, the news came down that uh, Grover Stewart is out for six games. Obviously, a tremendous loss to this defense. Uh, I think the team has, you know, been very much in his corner. They're saying this was a mistake. Uh, that it wasn't something that Zaire Franklin said point blank that that Grover would never uh, cheat the game. Uh, but as Grover said in his apology, it it's on him. You know, everything that he takes into his body is on him. Uh, and so even if this was something where it was a combination of things or, or he was taking a supplement he thought was legal and it, it had a banned substance in it, uh, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you're out for six games and it's going to hurt this football team, I think especially this week, because you just mentioned how great this Browns defense is. The Colts' best chance, I think, in this game is for their own defense to force turnovers and give that offense a short field so Matt Gay can kick a lot of field goals, win a game sort of ugly like you did last year against Denver. That's probably their best uh, route to victory and it's going to be harder without big grove in the middle oh absolutely this this sucks honestly this really sucks like you said grove is one of those guys and especially coming from you as a big you know, the biggest grover stewart stan i know like he's just such an easy guy to root for now look i'm going to believe him and believe a lot of his teammates and they say like he would never cheat the game and this is more of an accident than anything else I will say that that is a figure, a common phrase used by almost any single athlete caught cheating and using PEDs was, I was an accident. I had no idea. Again, I have, with how Grover Stewart's carried himself in the past, I rather, I have no reason to believe that he was actually trying to cheat the game and was knowingly taking a banned substance to give himself an edge. So I'm going to believe him and again, kind of go on the side of it was an accident. But like I said before, I mean, George, part of, your salary as an athlete, but especially as an NFL player, is knowing what you're putting in your body. And it's just one of those things where it sucks, it's unfortunate, and it absolutely just could be a, a total just misrepresentation or just a, a total just, I don't know, you, you take one thing, meat, whatever, anything, combination of two things that turn into something in your stomach, whatever. I don't know. The human body works in crazy ways. And it's just one of those things where it just – the most unfortunate events happen that lead to a positive test. But at the end of the day, right, you are responsible for what you take. And it's on you at the end of the day, if we are now sitting here and you miss the next six games. And like you said, I mean, you have a backup quarterback. So it's not like expectations going forward where this team is going to compete for a playoff spot, especially coming off last week's blowout loss against the Jaguars. But now this loss of one of the best interior defensive linemen in the game, not, you know, and one of the best players on your team, period, out for the next six games, all but kind of puts a, a tombstone on the ground for this year in terms of being a playoff contender. Sure feels that way. I mean, it's going to be really hard for this team to compete. 
Uh, because, again, defense was going to have to lead the way. As soon as the news came down about Anthony Richardson, the first thought is defense and run game. That's how you win now going forward. Uh, and we know that defenses are going to try to take away that run game uh, on the other side. We saw that from Jacksonville. We talked about it on Tuesday. Go back and listen to that pod if you want to. Uh, the teams are going to copy that. It's copycat lead. They are going to uh, play a very similar style and, and try to make the Colts beat them. Uh, and so this defense really needs to step up. And I think the best thing the defense can do right now is takeaways. Uh, there hasn't been a ton of those this year. It's a little bit ahead of the pace a year ago, I feel like. I, I haven't really looked at the numbers. It seems like there's been a couple more this year. Uh, but it's still not, you know, where they were a few years ago, uh, where where they were, you know, right at top of the league, uh, one of the top ta- takeaway teams in the NFL under Matt Eberflus. They've got to get back to that. They they have got to get uh, – that. that's really their only chance at this point. They've got to give this offense short fields, give them opportunities uh, to score points and – it's hard to do when you're, when you're missing key guys. I mean, we know that this secondary is young. They're going to have – Juju Brent's game on Sunday was probably the blueprint of what you're going to see. Uh, he got burnt for a touchdown because yeah. he was aggressive on one play. He comes back. He has an interception. He has a great pass breakup at, at another point. That's what happens with, with young, talented players. It's going to be a roller coaster. They knew that. They were saying that. You know, The organization was saying that in the preseason. Uh, but now I think when when your front seven, which is the heart of this defense and, and is where everything starts, is weakened, now things get really interesting. And I think the one thing about the NFL, whether it's injuries or it's suspensions or, or any of the things that, that are guaranteed to happen over the course of a season, now you get somebody else the chance to step up. And I think this is Eric Johnson's opportunity, uh, second-year guy. He won't be the only one. I'm sure Taven Bryan will be in there a little bit. I'm sure that they will rotate some people in. Uh, I'm sure in passing down, you'll see Taekwon Lewis come in. You'll see, I'm sure Dio Dangbo be on the interior at times, Buck moving over to the one. Um, you know, they're going to be a combination of things. But this is a chance for Eric Johnson to, to catch somebody's eye and to, to say, hey, look, you know, Grover's in the final year of his contract and he's 29. So, you know, even if you sign him to a new deal, it's probably not going to be a five or six year deal. Right. This is a chance for Eric Johnson to, to make, you know, carve out a spot. As Chuck Pagano used to say, make himself necessary. This is this is the opportunity for him. You're right. It is truly one of those next man up mentalities, and this is a showcase. And like you said, too, I'm glad you kind of brought that rotation up because you're right, especially with early in the season, how much this defense was reliant on the front seven, especially the front four to generate pressure on their own in order to ease up and put resources in the back to kind of help their young and inexperienced secondary that takes a massive blow now. Grover Stewart out of the lineup. It's a tremendous opportunity now for other guys to shine, but also puts a lot of extra stress now on um, DeForest Buckner to kind of be a one-man wrecking crew. And that's concerning, especially since this is a guy, George, that's been banged up a lot of this season so far. He's barely been able to practice. So he's kind of already not, you know, less than 100% on game days. And now at least he had a running mate in Grover Stewart can, can have a formidable one-two punch. But again, you're asking, I think, no one's going to replace Grover Stewart, right? Just him, like Eric Johnson, Taven Bryan. You're going to need three, four guys could together combined to add up to hopefully replace one man in Grover Stewart. But that's also, again, in part of that group is going to be getting even extra from Buck in uh, in terms of production. And that's, again, asking a lot right now of a guy that's not 100% and just puts more stress now in the D-line. But also, like I said, now it's going to add also extra stress on the secondary because you're going to 
safe to say the run game is not going to be as stout and the pass game pressure, especially up the middle is not going to be maybe as consistent and that's going to give quarterbacks more time to throw and obviously give them now secondary more time to cover receivers, which could add and be a disastrous result. I think they're going to have to move Buckner around. They've done that in the past, but I think you're going to have to do it a lot now, uh, almost like you do Aaron Donald, you know, put him on the outside here, put him on the left, put him on the right. Uh, because I, you know, one thing about Grover that that's undeniable is that he at least makes teams consider: Do we really want to double team Team Buckner? We're definitely not going to triple team him. Now that Stewart's not there, the same way as defenses are going to make the Colts prove that they can throw the ball downfield, offenses now are going to make guys like Taven Bryan and Eric Johnson prove that they can make them pay for double teaming Buckner. I, I would say. Cleveland's game plan right away is going to be at least a double team button, or if not triple team him, uh, and make those guys prove that they can make plays. Every single play. You think they're it's gonna be very rare. Probably, George, when we're doing our post-game pod on Sunday, which by the way, check out on YouTube live, the Blue Horseshoe Podcast YouTube page is where we will be live after every game, including this Sunday's against the Browns. I bet, George, when the game is said and done, I'll be able to count on one hand the number of times to force Buckner to face a one-on-one matchup, whether it's a chip from a tight end or a running back, whether it's you know a guard-tackle combo, a center-guard combo, the running back coming in as well. Like DeForest Buckner is going to have bodies and waves of bodies thrown at him, and rightfully so because right now, especially on the interior, Taven Bryan has shown flashes. I think he's, you know, again, he's played well, but it was also he's played well in a limited role and more of a relief role. No one's been able to prove on the interior, especially, um, that they command attention and that they can command attention away from Buckner. So it's going to be one where, like you said, he's going to face double and triple teams probably virtually every play. And now, especially, too, when you look at this Browns team, how they're going to try to win, even without, especially, I mean, we'll ask Daryl here in a little bit when he joins us. Yeah, I mean, if you caught any of Deshaun Watson's press conference yesterday, I truly don't think he was playing with the media. I don't think he, even he knows if he's going to play or not on Sunday with his hurt shoulder. So assuming he does not play, uh, the Browns already run heavy team are going to run the ball, I think, even more on Sunday. Um, and you could absolutely expect, again, two bodies to be put on Buckner at all times uh, to clear holes for Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt, and co. Well, Kareem Hunt might not play either. I mean, the, bang, the Browns are very banged up. It's one of the things I think we need to talk about to Daryl about. You know, there's there's a lot going on over there as well. Uh, but yeah, there's there's no question, and, and not just this week. Moving forward, uh, you know, for five five games after this, you're going to have to find answers. Yeah. One thing about the Taven Bryant situation is a lot of that has come at three technique. A lot of his production has come when he comes in to replace uh, DeForest Buckner. So it's, it's a little bit different over there at the nose tackle spot. Uh, it'll be interesting to see him there. There's not Johnson's probably the, the closest as far as prototypical nose tackle still on the roster. But like you said, this, this is one of the more irreplaceable players on this team. And that's not just because I'm a huge Grover Stewart fan. You just don't have a lot of other guys who play that role. Um, you know, it's similar to when Ryan Kelly went down and you're like, okay, Wesley French came in, did a really good job, but the drop-off from Kelly to French is one of the bigger drop-offs on paper on the roster. Now they've got to hope that Eric Johnson can step in and do what Wesley French did and you know make some people understand, hey, you know what, maybe there is a little bit more depth there than, than we thought. Uh, but that's it's a huge challenge, and and I guarantee you teams are going to go after him because that's, that's the way the NFL works. You know, if you've got a new guy in, look every time someone gets injured. 
The next plays run right at whoever just came in. I mean, it's almost a hundred percent. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, they're going to be targeting whoever's in without a doubt, like you said, and running to that side of the ball and running away from Buckner, especially. Um, I am an eternal optimist, George. So one of the last things I'll say here in terms of Bucks, uh, Grover Stewart suspension of future is in a year in 2023, where again, the Colts are not considered to be a playoff team. And they're again, even though they're three and three right now, they're, I don't think they'll be chasing a playoff spot. Even by the time they they reach the bye uh, at week 11, at least the suspension comes in a year where, like you said, you can at least now see the depth of the interior defensive line and nose tackle and even if it's bad, like even if we're kind of talking about it where no one steps up, no one plays well, it's a black hole until Grover Stewart returns, at least that gives Chris Ballard an answer of, well, okay, we can't afford to lose Grove this offseason. And also, like you mentioned, him being 29, we better get some replacements in the draft or in free agency to kind of shore up that position to where if he gets hurt or ages out and we got to move on from him in two or three years, at least we have a guy, maybe two or three guys we can plug in there and feel good about going forward, this at least, I think, provides an opportunity to see what you got. And again, worst case scenario, if it's a disaster, okay, well, you're not going anywhere this year anyway. And at least you know then going forward, okay, well, we got to get some guys in here that we can feel better about. So that's the the optimist in me, George, trying to spin this suspension into a positive. It sucks. It's backbreaking for this defense with how important he is and, again, how vital that defensive line is. But at least, again, in a year where wins and losses don't matter, at least this comes, the suspension comes this year and not, let's say, next year or in 2025 when you're actually trying to compete for something and suffer a big-time blow to one of your most important defenders. Right, we talked about it a lot in the preseason. You know, a lot of this year is trying to find out if you've got some dudes. And this is a chance now to, to look at some more of these guys and find out. You know, maybe even a Barry gets in here. You know, we'll, we'll see uh, how all this shakes out, but – people who haven't gotten as many snaps are going to get a bigger role. Uh, and you're going to find out, like you said, one way or another, what they can do. And that either means you're going to discover you do have somebody and, and this person can be a part of the plans moving forward, or you're going to discover that this is an area of need and, and you need to go and fill it in the off season. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I think one of the things that, that Shane Sykin has really shown us through six games is that, they've got a standard and they're going to be held to that standard and they're not going to, you know, fall back on excuses. That's really going to be tested these next six weeks. And I think it'll be really interesting to see that to me is one of the more, I guess, intriguing things to watch, you know, over these last 11 games, can he keep the fight that they've had? Uh, will they continue to, to scratch and claw, you know, find ways to win some of these games uh, and, and show that, that maybe he is the right guy for the shop. That's, that's the feeling I've got through six weeks, uh, but I think it's going to be a massive test now, these next six. Speaking of the word test, George, this proud defense is easily right now the best test this Colts offense is going to face and probably the best test they'll face all season long as they do come to Indy on Sunday. Daryl Ryder does a tremendous job covering the Browns for 92.3, the fan out there in Cleveland. We'll hop on next to, again, try to dis- uh, discuss and decipher is there any weak point the Colts could exploit on this elite, dominant, historically dominant Browns defense? We go behind enemy lines with Dow Ryder next. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. George Bremer, Ryan Hickey with you right here. Time to go behind enemy lines. And we welcome in the great Browns reporter from 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland, 
Daryl Ryder. Daryl, welcome to Behind Enemy Lines, man. Thanks for giving us a few minutes here. Uh, you betcha. Thanks for having me. So let me ask you this, Daryl. If I set the over-under number at 19 and a half combined points between the Colts and Browns on Sunday, where are you going? Over-under? I'm probably going to go over, but not by much. Boy, defensive struggle to say the least, huh? Yeah, I, yeah, I think this is going to be a defensive showdown, uh, which I kind of give the Browns the advantage there because I think their defense is just a smidge better. But um, I, I would have to agree. So On that points to be <laughs> to say the least on that note look it's it's well documented and we'll get into some numbers here in a second about how dominant historically the browns defense has been so maybe this is an impossible question to answer but we'll try it anyway if there is one area of weakness or one area this colts offense could possibly exploit against the browns defense where could it possibly be i would probably say the middle of the field um not so much up front in the run game because the Browns have been pretty good defending the run, which is unusual here in Cleveland because we're used to the Browns getting trucked on the ground by teams on a regular basis. But um, they're vastly improved. Dalvin Tomlinson has a, a lot to do with that, one of the free agent uh, additions in the offseason. But I would probably say in the middle of the field, uh, you know, challenging the Browns linebackers in coverage. Um, that And they've been pretty, they've been pretty good there, but – if you're looking for a weakness, I would probably say that um, if Gardner Minshew holds on to the ball for any length of time, he is he, he's begging to be hit and he's going to be hit, <laughs> not just by Miles Garrett either. I mean, that that's the thing that the Browns did uh, this year um, is by bringing in Zadarius Smith from the Minnesota Vikings, uh, signing Obo Okoronkwo in free agency like they have three starting defensive ends that they're able to throw uh, at uh, opponents. Um, and they really like mixing and matching with their defensive linemen as well, moving guys around, rotations, things like that. That's what uh, you know Jim Schwartz is all about up front. So, yeah, if Gardner Minshew decides he wants to hold on to the football and take his time distributing it, um, he, he's, he's in for a very painful afternoon. It sounds like they might see Sam Ellinger at some point yeah. uh, if he doesn't get rid of the ball fast enough. Uh, one of the things I think that, that's interesting about the Browns, you can look on the paper and you can see the stats, and they're, they're first in the league by a good margin in, in a lot of really key stats. But I think what's impressive to me are two things. One, they hardly ever blitz because they can get home with that front four so consistently. And two, they're doing it without a lot of takeaways. It's just three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Uh, how much because they're able to do those two things? How how much freedom does that give them on defense? Uh, it just seems like you know if you can just play man up the way they do every series and and just beat the other guys one on one, it's really hard to solve. Yeah, Jim Schwartz when he was hired by the Browns and he came in and in his introductory press conference, he has been true to his word. I don't blitz a lot, and I play man to man. I basically expect my players at all levels of my defense to worry about their guy and to beat their guy. And the Browns, fortunately enough for them, they have players capable of doing that. When you look at the Browns secondary, right? Denzel Ward's having a great year. Martin Emerson Jr., a six-round pick a year ago, had a great rookie season. He's really followed that up with a strong sophomore campaign here. He's been great. Uh, Greg Newsom arguably is one of the better nickel corners uh, in the NFL right now. Um, 
then you look up front. We've, we've talked about that uh, front that the Browns are able to throw at them at the opposition. And they're, they're just really stout from front to back. And they really play complimentary football. The pressure up front forces quarterbacks to get the ball out maybe sooner than they want. Uh, the back end of the defense, uh, not a lot of turnovers created, um, but they are forcing poor throws, which to me, a three and out is just as good as creating a turnover. Um, that's one of the things like uh, Jim Schwartz said a couple of weeks ago when the turnover thing came up, he goes, boy, you guys are really digging deep for criticism <laughs> at this point. If you're, But I look at if you're getting a three and out, that's as good as a turnover. And the Browns won't allowed like 51, 52 first downs. And that's the fewest in the NFL by like 40. The next closest team to them is in the 90s uh, as far as first downs allowed. And then the yardage as well, 1,002 yards. That's the fewest the team has allowed uh, it through their first five games since 1971. Like <laughs> That's like 52 years. Um, so it, that's hard to replicate week in and week out. And it, as you guys know, in the NFL, it, it, it gets kind of crazy that way um, to expect – them to be able to sustain that for 17 weeks. I certainly don't, but they're off to a really, really good start. And that includes a game that they gave up 28 points to, to the Baltimore Ravens and lost. That's true. And lost without their starting quarterback, which brings us to this question, right? The defense is tremendous and the Colts are going to have a hard time putting points on the board. But on the flip side, Browns, especially without Deshaun Watson, have not exactly been lighting up the scoreboard. Daryl is, I mean, Deshaun Watson, I think he's being truthful on Wednesday. He spoke to me to saying he's not sure if he's going to play on Sunday. He missed the last two games. Do you expect him to play on Sunday? I do not. Um, okay. Just based on, I specifically asked him about the timeline because that's the the wonky thing about this whole situation. Um, this is the longest day-to-day rotator cuff <laughs> injury in history. Um, he's not day-to-day. He's week-to-week. And I, and I just, the, the messaging on this has been terrible. Um the the leaking has been ridiculous. You know, one day it's this, the next day it's this, right? One day someone reports this, and the next day someone reports the exact opposite. I mean, it's just stupid, right? So I specifically asked Deshaun Watson, look, man, when you go to the doctor and they find something wrong with you, they usually give you a timetable what it's going to take to get healthy. What was the timetable? And he kind of tried to him and ha his way around that without giving me a direct answer. But then he dropped, well, you know, rotator cuffs are usually a four to six week problem. So that immediately went in my head. I started doing the math, right? He got hurt against Tennessee. As I got to look at my schedule here. That was back on September 24. Okay. He missed the October one game against the Ravens. He had the bye week, uh, missed the 49er game. The Colts, this is now week number four. So I'm not expecting him to play this week. I think that they put him out there because we have been saying, we haven't heard from this dude since uh, pre-Ravens game. And when we spoke to him, because uh, we have media availability on uh, usually before practice. So we got to talk to Deshaun and we talked to Kevin Stefanski before we walked out to practice. I'm like, oh, uh, Deshaun's not throwing a football right now. <laughs> this is different. Um, so we never really got to address the injury situation with Deshaun specifically. So we finally got to do that. On Wednesday, but yeah, thinking along those four to six week timelines, this is week four. I don't anticipate him playing. He might not play next week in Seattle. As far as I'm concerned, um, he is the franchise quarterback. They got two hundred thirty million dollars invested in him. 
whatever your personal feelings are about Deshaun Watson, the person or whatever, or, or the player immaterial at this point, if you're the Cleveland Browns, you can't take and you can't take a risk here. Um, they did that with Baker Mayfield. They let Baker Mayfield yeah. play a, 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 a shoulder injury, a non-shoulder injury, non-throwing shoulder injury, I should say. And it just totally tanked an entire freaking season. So uh, you've got so much money invested in this guy. You have to allow him to get back to 100% before you put him out there. I know he said he can't hurt it any further if he goes out there and plays. But let's be honest about it. If you take hits on a shoulder that's got some problem in it, you're going to damage the thing. Let's use a little common sense here. Misery loves company. I mean, so much of that sounds so familiar with, you know, Richardson got hurt against Tennessee. Uh, obviously the decision to make the surgery with him was, was long-term and a lot of that goes back to mistakes they made with Andrew Luck. It, it just feels like, uh, you know, looking in a mirror, um, as, as far as the offensively for the Browns, uh, in the backfield, Kareem Hunt got dinged, I believe last week he was on the injury report. Uh, does it look like he's going to be able to play or, you know, they're going to be down and running back as well on Sunday. Yeah, you know what? I, I think Kareem will find a way to play because he's just a tough son of a gun. Um, yeah, he's got a thigh injury. Uh, he really did a nice job against San Francisco. Didn't put up a ton of yards. Scored a touchdown, though. And I, to me, he, him and Jerome Ford just really wore down that 49er defense a little bit. Um, and that's, I think, what the game plan needs to be for the Browns going forward until Watson comes back is they're just going to have to find ways to wear down the opposition a little bit on the ground um, along with those short, quick passes, a vertical passing game just is not in the cards. Um, There there were some throws that PJ Walker had uh, against San Francisco where um, a, it was like, okay, thank God that didn't (laughs) land a 49ers hand number one or number two, he missed that dude who was wide open by a country mile. Um, So they're going to have to lean heavily on their run game. The offensive line, though, for the Browns is not in great shape right now. Joel Batonio uh, missed his first game in 100, 100 plus games uh, at left guard last week. He was back at practice on Wednesday, uh, coming off a knee scope, which again, messaging, right? Ask, hey, did Joel have a you know a procedure or whatever during the bye week? Uh, you know, he was on crutches. Oh no, everything's fine. And then Kevin Stefanski, a few days are yo, you know, Joel's coming off that knee procedure he had and. We're just like, really? <laughs> we just <laughs> so uh, I anticipate that Batonio's going to play. Um, you know, they lost Jack Conklin for the year. Dewan Jones, the, the big rookie from Ohio State. He'll, by the way, uh, when you see him on Sunday, largest human being you've ever seen, <laughs> both vertically and horizontally. He is just a big, big dude. And he's, and he's pretty athletic for being a big guy. He's stepped in admirably. Um the, the weak link, though, on the offensive line is at left tackle with Jed Wills. Um, he'll give you, he, you know, 75% of the place he's fine. It's the 25% that just absolutely torpedo a game. And that's happened a couple of times this year where uh, he has um, shown up in a negative way, if you will, at, at the most inopportune time. He had a penalty last week that took a touchdown off the board. Uh, and touchdowns for the Cleveland Browns right now are very precious. Um so, yeah, the, the up front, not as strong as uh, it was going into the season for sure. I was going to ask you, Darrell, game plan-wise now, especially if Deshaun Watson doesn't play, we saw last week against the 49ers, it was dead even in terms of run-pass 
um, play calls, 34 passes uh, for P.J. Walker, 34 rush attempts. Now, the Colts' weakness on their defense is their secondary, but also now they're going to this game the first of six without Grover Stewart, one of the best interior defensive linemen who's just suspended for PEDs. Do you expect a run-heavy call sheet from Kevin Stefanski on Sunday, or do you still expect, even with P.J. Walker and some of, like you said, his near misses last week against the 49ers, that still could be a run-pass balance here, more 50-50? Kevin Stefanski likes to keep it balanced. He doesn't like to go heavy run v pass even even last year with nick chubb right and and before nick chubb got hurt um week two at pittsburgh it was it, it for the most part pretty balanced um not heavy one way or uh the other in fact to the point of when deshaun was serving a suspension last year fans just every week just you know bitched and moaned that we're not running the ball enough you know uh, uh, all the you know the chris hmm. Farley interesting live memes Run the ball, Kevin, or run Nick Chubb, Kevin. Like that—that's what it was. Um, so I—I I do anticipate he's going to try and keep a balance. Now I'll give PJ Walker and Amari Cooper some credit. They hooked up on a beautiful fifty-yard, fifty-plus-yard uh, play last week, and they went for fifty-four. Uh, also, uh, another big play. Cooper went up and high pointed a football. And then after the game, it's like, I don't know why everyone's surprised. I do this stuff all the time. Like, you know, this isn't a big deal to me, but Amari just doesn't get the love. I think that a lot of the big name wide receivers get around the league. And I think part of it is because he has a very quiet personality. Um, He doesn't do a lot of the number one wide receiver, prima donna stuff that we hear complaining about how many times he's thrown to dancing and celebrating and all those, you know, type of goofy, you know, fun things that the big name wide receivers do. So I think he kind of flies under the radar, but he's a very good, he's one of the most precise route runners in the NFL. He really is. Um, And uh, I laughed this week because the the Brown social media team starting to put out clips of him just completely making opposing cornerbacks and safeties look really stupid. They're calling it. You just got cooped. <laughs> oh, also you just got Moss sit down, Randy Moss. Right. So um, he's just, he's a really, really good player. And, and uh, like I said, I uh, anticipate that when you talk about what or who PJ Walker will be looking to try to get the football to, I think Amari Cooper is going to be right up there. And Walker, very astutely, got a hold of Jacoby Brissett uh, leading up to that 49er game to ask him, uh, what do I do? (laughs) And he said, if you see, and Brissett responded, if you see Cooper beat the guy at the line, throw it to him. He won't make the catch. And, uh, you know, Walker was able to do that a couple of times. And uh, Cooper had a big game, 108 yards on uh, four catches. Last one for me, I mean, obviously P.J. Walker, former Colt, uh, but it's the Bubba Ventrone revenge game here. How does the <laughs> team look uh, over there in Cleveland? Well, look, um, uh, when they lost Jakeem Grant, it was a, a repeat of what happened last year when, again, they lost Jakeem Grant before the season. Um, and the return game has been hot garbage pretty much ever since. They they can't generate really much of anything uh, when it comes to punt and, and kickoff returns. Like last week, they threw Jalen Darden, who's on the practice squad. They elevated him and, and said, uh, the returns are all yours. Have at it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it did not go all that great. So um, I think he had like uh, three or four returns, and he totaled 40 yards. Like basically, if the Browns catch the punt, and if they move forward 
with it, that's like a positive return at, at this point. It's been a struggle. Uh, that Dustin Hopkins, the kicker they brought in uh, right before the season, uh, he's been fantastic. He came in with a 50% field goal percent uh, for his career of 50-plus. He's the first Browns kicker in history, and I couldn't believe this because the Browns have had some pretty good kickers over the years, you know, the likes of Matt Barr and Phil Dawson. He's the first Browns kicker to make 50-yard field goals in four straight games, um, and wow. he's perfect. He's 4 for 4 from beyond 50. He missed a 47-yarder uh, to open the game last week but made the next four plus the PA. He's been fantastic. Like, you know, it's hard to be perfect as a kicker. Dustin Hopkins has been as close to perfect uh for the browns uh as you can get so he he's been good but yeah uh bubba is the first coach that i've ever seen because he's a former brown too he was a big time special teamer uh with the browns and he's the first coach i've ever seen run the reps with his players i had never seen that before uh until i was watching the i'm like the hell's bubba out there (laughs) gunning on like hunting kickoff and i asked him about that i said hey i i've done it it's just my way of teaching to show them that i've done it and i can kind of still do it maybe not at their level but to really he's a real hands-on type of coach and i kind of look at him as a a future nfl head coach at some point he's going to have to migrate over either on the off probably on the offensive side of things because let's be honest your your path to becoming a head coach in the nfl it, it you got a better shot if you're an offensive coach more so than a defensive coach and that's not, the, I mean, there are defensive coaches out there, but um, he's going to have to migrate a, uh, away from special teams at some point, but he's a really, really good coach. Yeah, he should have already been an interim head coach, but uh, that, that's a different podcast for a different time. You saying, yeah. George, he's more qualified than an ESPN analyst? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. You know, I have to say when that happened last year, um, I was like, this is something the Browns would do. <laughs> like I, yeah. I couldn't believe it. What I, you know, uh, we have Jimmy Haslam here and that, you know, and in, in his family that, that run the Browns, but like Jim Ursay is fun to watch on Twitter. Um, and I don't, oh, I don't mean that 100% is complimentary. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd say 75% of it's complimentary, but then there's like, like that 25% where you're just like, the hell is he talking about or what is going on here? But um, yeah, when when uh, when they made that coaching change midseason and brought it, I'm like, what are the Colts doing? This is something the Browns would do. So I'd like to congratulate you on doing something that the Browns had not done yet. <laughs> There's at least something to take away from last year. Jim Irsay has me sometimes regret being a Colts fan, Daryl, because you're right. His I would enjoy his Twitter 100% if I was a non-Colts fan with just some of the stuff he says and stuff he tweets. But it makes your hair go gray and pull your hair out when you're seeing him fight with a running back and praising Jeff Saturday and doing videos outside of a private jet with the engines blaring. You can't even hear what he's saying. <laughs> it is just like, what are we doing here? Please. It's good to be rich, right? I mean, but but also at the same time, I I do like the fact that he just gives you the news himself. You know, you don't see a lot of you don't see a lot of sources things coming out in Indianapolis. It's just it seems like it's a pretty transparent organization. I mean, with Richardson, that's a tough blow him having that season ending surgery. But the fact that he just came out. Yeah. You know what? We we talked it over and elected the best course action here is to have the kid get the season ending surgery. And, you know, I'm just like. Wow, that's actually kind of refreshing. <laughs> There's Owner no doubt he truth. wears his heart on his sleeve, and and he uh, he will tell you whatever's on his mind, good or bad, in that yeah. moment. 
Yeah, I mean, I I I I have a lot of respect for folks like that. Uh, I'm a little biased because I'm the same way. Like I, I'm not good at lying. I'm not good at diplomacy. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you what I think and how I feel. And if it offends you, I'll apologize in advance. But it is what it is. Anthony Richardson health, Daniel Snyder being removed as owner. Look to Jim Mercy. You can say a lot of things about him. The one thing you cannot say that he is not honest. He is a hundred percent authentic. And he tells you what's on your mind. Sometimes it's good. Other times like, please, Jim, just, Oh, we're going to take now. Who is it? Um, Will Levis in the second round and have a Joe Montana, Steve young, as he's tweeting that before the second round of the draft. It's like, please, someone take his Twitter account away. Do not be as truthful as uh, sometimes he is, but he is. Yeah. He tells you what he's thinking. That's for sure here. Um, To finish up, Daryl, quick two part here. Number one, biggest question we'll ask you here, which the Colts are wearing their alternate Indiana Knights uniforms on, on Sunday, which uniforms are the brands wearing? They wearing their clean all white. So they go more traditional. Um, We will find that out actually on Friday. But Damn. I, I well, I believe because the, the Colts will be in those dark blues, the Browns will be in the traditional white uniform, but with the orange helmet. So they have two okay. they have two white uniforms that they wear. Uh one is what they wore last week against San Francisco. It's got the the white alternate helmet, uh, which Clean. I have, by the way, I absolutely love and I wish they would make it the full time helmet because I think it looks a thousand times better than the tradi- the than what had become the traditional orange helmet. And little known fact about Brown's uh, uniform lore, uh, back in 1946, uh, up until they joined the NFL, like around 1951, the Browns wore a white helmet. The reason they had to go to orange is because they started playing the night games and the balls were white. So the league, you know, wouldn't allow for white helmets anymore. So that's how, and Paul Brown, I guess, was like, well, I think we'll just go with orange. And 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 that's what they did. And they've worn orange ever since. But I think the Browns did a great job with the white uniform. But they have uh, the white jersey that they wear with that helmet is the 1946 throwback jersey. So, But they also have their traditional, when they redid their uniforms a few years ago, they have a traditional white jersey, which is the, the, the brown numerals. That is the jersey that I believe that they will be wearing along with the white pants. So I expect okay. that maybe they wear the orange pants with the white jersey, but because the Colts are in the in the dark blues, the Browns will be in white this week. The all whites they wore last week, very I love them, very clean. Except with the white helmets, it looks very very nice. Um, so on that note, then Daryl, uh, Browns last I saw are two and a half point favorites on the road. To me, backup quarterback versus backup quarterback. Who you who you think is going to win this game here? Um, I I I want to pick the Browns. The problem is they're. Oh very good stacking wins. They're a win one, lose one, or lose one, win one type of a team uh, in recent years, since 2020. I think that they're like three and 13 in their last six games coming off a win. Also, they're not, they're, they're not very good on the road. Um, Kevin Stefanski, really good at home. I think he's like 19 and 10 uh, at Cleveland Brown stadium as head coach, which is great. Cause you know, we're used to 10 and 19 or even worse at home at Cleveland Brown stadium. And they're even worse on the road. So uh, his road record is not very good. This is not a very good road team. And the challenge for them is that, you know, starting with this game and they got a ton of road games coming up. They played four, uh, yeah, four of their first five were at home. Um, And they only have five home games the rest of the way. And there's a ton of football to be played. So they're going to have to find a way to win games on the road. 
I give the Browns the edge because, again, Indianapolis's defense is really good. I just feel like the Browns are just in that elite tier at this point when you talk about defense. Um, and Gardner Minshew coming off the four interception thing. I don't anticipate he's going to be throwing four picks on uh, Sunday, but if there's ever a team that could get him to throw four picks, I think it's the Browns. So I, 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 I have to t- I feel like I got to take the Browns here, which um, that probably means very good news for your Indianapolis Colts, because um, I'm under 500 picking games this year. I'm two and three. <laughs> If the Browns are three and two, I'm two and three picking games. So that might be good news for your Colts. George right now is the man on the hot chick. I'm with you. I'm not doing very well in our picks either. George right now is going for a three-game winning streak here on Sunday. We'll get his pick in a second, but it sounds like, George, no pressure. You could be the one here who's going to actually determine the outcome. Forget about the players on the field. It's your pick. I mean, last week it was all down to ice, and, and it didn't come through. So so we'll see how it goes this week with me. It's probably probably not much better. Oh, we will see. Dow Ryder, 92.3, the fan in Cleveland. Tremendous job. Thank you so much for the insight and coming behind enemy lines. Thanks for having me, guys. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. A big thank you to Dow Ryder, George. He gave some per- a tremendous perspective, um, especially in this historic Browns defense. That's been so good. You heard Dow say it. 52 first downs allowed, which, again, on the surface through five games, okay, maybe it's hard to quantify or really hard to see how dominant that is. The next closest team has allowed 94 first downs, almost doubling them up. Insane how dominant they have been. And I thought it was interesting, George, the fact that Daryl said the one weakness or maybe the one area this Colts team could exploit, the middle of the field for the Browns defense is a, we'll say, weak point. Again, when you're talking about a historically great defense, but that is, for this passing offense especially, that's the strength of this team is passing in the middle of the field. Yeah, I mean that that's where the Colts make their hay. You know, to the extent that that it happens, especially when when uh, Gardner Minshew is, is out there, get rid of the ball fast, get it to Josh Downs. You know, he wins his one on one matchups. Uh, if you can get Pittman matched up on a linebacker over the middle, that's usually his best uh, situation as well. So, yeah, I think that's interesting to me. That that's that's one area. If the Colts are going to move the ball, maybe that's where that happens. You know, they're not going to run it. Uh, and they're not going to be able to throw deep. They're not going to have time to throw deep. I think that was was even more verified uh, during during that talk. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if they can maybe make some hay in the middle of the field, maybe get tight ends a little bit more involved this week. Maybe I'm just being headstrong. And I don't want to, again, put aside what Daryl said, but I, at least for me, I still think the Colts' best chance of putting up at least 17 points in this game is the is the deep passing game. Like, we kind of talked about it on Tuesday's podcast. If you if you miss it, check it out. Blue Horseshoe Podcast on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. We kind of talked about how this offense can get going here. And I do think what we saw from Jacksonville, where they put seven guys in the box, no matter what formation the Colts had, three tight ends, three receivers, four receivers, didn't matter. They loaded the box and dared the Colts to throw deep. Outside of two passes, three passes, and one and two or kind of came late in the game that when the game is already in hand. I don't think the Browns defense, who, like you said, and Daryl um, agreed with, too, they don't blitz. Like, the Browns defense is not blitz. So they get home with four, and they have a really good job of stuffing the road with four guys. To spread them out and to at least open them up a little bit, I think the deep passing game is going to have to work first in order to have any sort of chance to run the ball and have some balance on offense. It's going to be, I think, on the protection one to block for three seconds, which is going to be very hard to do. It's going to be on the receivers to win one-on-one battles, which they did not do for the most part in Jacksonville last week. And it's going to be on Gardner Minshew 
to throw the ball number one deep, which he's reluctant to do, and also throw it accurately, which he's had time and very uh, a lot of big issues with as well. It's a very tough situation. I'm not trying to say it's easy. I think the Colts are not going to have a lot of success doing so. But I think it's, at least for me, in this game, necessary to try to attack the Browns' defense like that, especially early, if you're going to have any sort of chance or prayer at consistently putting up points and keeping your offense on the field in this game on Sunday. Yeah, I think every defense, like we were talking about before, is going to dare the Colts to, to beat them deep from here on out until it happens. Uh, and that, that's that's the way teams operate in this league. It's probably the right way to operate um, You know, right now against this team. Until the Colts prove that they can do that, you're going to make them do that. Um, but I think you know it'll be interesting to see what, what Cleveland does. I, I think Jim Schwartz does have a way of doing things. I don't think he's going to alter a lot, you know, that plan, nor should he. I mean, what they've been doing is working really well. Uh, and I imagine they're going to probably play the same way they have for most of the season uh, and trust that they can get this Colts team to punt a lot, maybe turn it over a couple times and, and you know, get enough from their own offense, get a couple plays from Amari Cooper uh, to, to win this game. And in order to score, I think it's not just going to be on the Colts offense. It's going to be on their defense. Like if they truly want to eclipse 20 points in this game, they're going to need, I will say, bare minimum three turnovers from this offense to have a chance to either maybe get a defensive score and or put your offense in short fields where bare minimum you're getting a field goal. Maybe you can also convert one of those turnovers into a touchdown. And the good news for that, George, is again, it's very unrealistic and unlikely to go into any game and ask your defense, hey, look, we're going to need three turnovers from you. It's just so hard to actually go in there and expect that high volume of turnovers to happen in any game. But the good news for the Colts is in this, in this game, and I think what makes it interesting is the Browns are tied for the worst turnover differential in the NFL. You pointed out before before you brought Daryl on, the Browns defense has not forced a lot of turnovers. They just have just four and five games. So for how historically great the defense has been, they're not doing so by turning you over. They're just doing so by getting you off the field. But on the flip side, with Deshaun Watson and now with P.J. Walker, we've seen this offense turn the ball over a ton they have 12 turnovers in five games, George, minus eight on the season. So while, again, it's unlikely, if the Colts are going to win this game, I think bare minimum three turnovers is what is going to have to be produced by this Colts defense. And the good news is if you are going to go into any game needing a big turnover performance from your defense, the Browns right now are the team that you want to be facing on the other side in order to make that happen. It sounds like especially on the road from what Daryl said. True. Uh, yeah. That's even going to be more likely. I think there's some interesting things here. Um, I mean, the Colts, I do think, need a defensive touchdown. I mean, you ask about three turnovers being a big ask. A defense touchdown is an even bigger ask. But whether that's an interception return, whether it's a strip fumble, you know, strip sack and a fumble return, uh, either direct defensive touchdown or one of these plays where you get the ball like the five, I think they're going to really need something like, like Jacksonville had, you know, early in that game last week uh, where you get the strip fumble and, and you end up, you know, right on the doorstep of the end zone and you cash it in. Uh, those things always seem to turn games around. The teams that get them seem to win almost, almost I don't know, 75, 80% of the time. Uh, so I think that's something that that's critical in a game like this where both offenses are probably going to struggle and, and, you know, big plays are going to be at a premium. Uh, the other thing I think is interesting is the Colts just saw P.J. Walker in training camp. He was with the Bears in the preseason. So he was here. He was in Westfield. They practiced two days against him. Uh, they saw him as much as they saw Justin Fields, which I think is an, it's just an interesting, uh, you know, subplot here because you don't have that a lot. Yeah, he's a former Colt, but there aren't many guys on this roster that were here when he was here. 
but they did see him just, you know, a couple months ago in the summer. So I think that'll be interesting to see uh, if there's anything they learn there that they can take advantage of on Sunday. That is going to be interesting. And again, too, if you can know his tendencies, that's I think one of the, the ways you can exploit this Browns offense, especially and give yourself, like I said, short fields and turnovers. I was a little surprised when we just asked Daryl his pick for the game. I mean, he picked the Browns, but I honestly thought there'd be a little bit more conviction from him than he had. I think in, in part, again, we're talking about how tough it's going to be for the Colts offensive score. But you look on the flip side, again, it's not very easy for this Browns offense with P.J. Walker, with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who started before um, the bye week with Deshaun Watson out. It's not been very easy for them to score either. Um, I'm just trying to pull the over under here for a second because I don't think it's going to be very high, and I would take 40 points right now. I would hammer the under, George. Not that that's our official pick, but this feels like a very low-scoring game. I feel much more comfortable picking the under than I do either of these teams. Um, I, I'll say, I, I think it's going to be a really similar to the Denver game last year. And, and I hate, to Oh my up, God, but that's it's on paper. That's what you're heading into here with the PJ Walker, Gardner Minshew battle with the strength of this Browns defense. And as he said, the Colts defense has played well too. It's not anywhere near the level the Browns are, but they have played well and they have taken advantage of, uh, their mismatches. I think the areas that they can win this year, they have. When, when an offensive line struggling, they've taken advantage of that. When a quarterback struggling, they've taken advantage of that. Uh, so I think you're going to see them. You know, one of the big things I think that we got from Daryl is that the Browns, who have a great offensive line when they're healthy, are not healthy up front right now. And so there may be some opportunities for Quiddy Pay, for Samson Ebukam, for Dio Dangbo to, to make some plays. Uh, and of course, the Forrest Buckner, which. It it makes this one of the hardest picks I think uh, of the year um, because I I think it's going to be like nine to six one way or the other. Oh my god! Maybe twelve to nine. Wasn't that the difference? Hide Al Michaels, please. Do not let Al Michaels turn his TV on on Sunday and put on Browns Colts. He almost died in the booth last year on Thursday night watching that Colts Broncos game. He might decease. He might fall over. And kick the can I mean, if he I watches this. The good news is you got Colts. two really good kickers. I mean, Dustin Hopkins having a good year over there. Matt Gay, a uh, big year over here. So at least the field goals will be, you know, expertly executed. Pat McAfee better be in the building. This is a for the brand kind of This is Pat McAfee's game written all over it. Punters and kickers. I mean, punts might determine this. I mean, that honestly, it might come down to a block punt or to, you know, a big return in the in the special teams. It, it's that kind of game. A turnover a block punt, a blown assignment, something like that is going to determine who wins this football game. And it would be apropos, right? Bubba, Ventron coming back, game decided, block punt. We've seen him do that before in Lucas Oil Stadium. We have. We have. It's It would be very appropriate, let's say, if the game is decided by um, by special teams, that's for sure, with Bubba Ventron on the other side of the field now in a Cleveland Browns, I was going to say uniform, but in a Cleveland Browns, I guess, attire. Um, so he wears uniform. <laughs> That's true. He absolutely would. Still wears cleats to practice, so I'm sure he's one you know one uh, step away from putting the shoulder pads and jersey on, getting ready to just you know, hey, someone's down. I got it, coach. Don't worry, I'll take it from here. Sort of thing you heard Daryl saying. He's still running reps for special teams practices, so he could definitely still get a get a, a rep or two left in him uh, for game action. But all right, George, look, you are the man here. You heard Daryl not had a very good season right now with his picks. I'll listen. I'll take three and three. Honestly, with how bad we were last year to be 500 six weeks through the season, I will take it. But you, sir, you are the one that's been hot. You are going for a three 
game winning streak. You're four and two right now, riding a heater for the Blue Horseshoe Pod standards for sure. Browns on the road, two and a half point favorites against the Colts. You seem like you were torn. If you want, I can give you a few yep. extra seconds here because um, I'll get my pick first. I'm taking the Browns. I'm taking the Browns minus two and a half. I don't think it's going to be a very high scoring game, but I trust the Browns defense to just put the clamps on this Colts offense. I don't see how this Colts offense honestly scores more than 10 points. I don't think they're finding the end zone more than one time. Maybe they get two or three field goals from Matt Gay. It's Again, you're going to need, I think, bare minimum three turnovers. And I just can't sit here, even though the Browns are turnover prone. I just can't truly sit here with a straight face and say the Colts are going to win this game because they're forcing three turnovers. I think it's just unrealistic to ask for. If it happens, great, but I just can't predict that to happen. I will say 16-9, Browns beat the Colts in what is going to, again, a game that's going to set offensive football back um, a ways in this one. So 16-9, Browns do beat the Colts um, is my prediction for Sunday. How about yourself, George? Yeah, it's going to be massively ugly. I mean, I'm definitely taking the under. I know that. I I am so torn. I think I have a little more faith in Cleveland, and for me it comes down to Amari Cooper because of what I was just talking about. There's going to be, you know, one play, one missed assignment, one block punt, one turnover, one play that, that turns this game around. And, and you know, as we're trying to, to predict it, uh, I th- the best faith I have is that that play will be made by Amari Cooper. He'll take advantage of a young gold secondary, make a big touchdown play at some point, and that'll be the difference in this game. Uh, I'll say 13 to 10 in, in an absolute barn burner on Sunday. Hey, at least you have the Colts. I mean, unless it's – yeah, no, I was going to say I was going to say something with safety. At least, at least you have the Colts scoring a touchdown, which, hey, I'll take. We'll take. Um Last question before we get out of here, George, and I probably should have asked this first because I'm a big believer, and I think this is true. People will say I'm stupid, but I think it's an actual fact. You can't play good if you don't look good. The Colts are going to debut their Indiana Knights uniforms. The pictures that they have posted when they release uniforms, personally, George, I find disgusting. I I, I am begrudgingly going to watch this game in part because I think they're going to look so ugly. You've been in, in the facility. You've at least got a chance to see with the helmets look like the black helmet with the blue horseshoe on the side. How does the helmet look at least so far in, in person? Does it look any different than the pictures have depicted or is it worse? It's true to the picture. I mean, uh, I oh, think it was, God. it was a fair, fair representation of it. All I know is, you know, my daughter does not care about football. She cared about the chiefs for a little while uh, because of Taylor Swift. Uh, that's about it. That, that, Wait, is she off? Wait, you said for a little while, is she done with the chiefs now or is she still invested? And if Taylor Swift's on the screen, she's a Chiefs fan. Otherwise, okay. you're talking about, you know, what, half a game when, when she's there. But otherwise, no. Uh, totally, totally uninterested. But she did see the uniforms, and she was a little bit incredulous that those were going to be worn for an actual game. But, you know what, there are fans out there that love them. So we'll oh. see, you know. I, I, I'll say this. If they win, they'll look a lot better uh, than if they lose. They are so bad. They are so bad. God, I, I honestly for a hot second forgot that they're wearing them this week. I am again, I, I will admit I'm a psycho in terms of I care about this more than most people. So this is more of a me problem than everyone else problem. The I am this is gonna be bad. This is gonna be really bad. You you made the comparison before. It looks like Duke football. I mean, I guess at least Duke is good this year, so you're not mirroring a team that's like one in seven to start the year. 
But my goodness, this is the helmets from what I've seen look do not I just do not look good. I kind of like the jerseys, uh, but not with the the black helmets incorporated. It's gonna be like an ugly look, but fitting for what should be ugly offensive play um on Sunday that we do see here. So we're Can both going to borrow Riley Leonard on, on Sunday. I mean we're we're talking Duke here. He might play on Saturday. So you know what? That ankle, screw it. Play two games in 24 hours. Should be fine. What better way to, to test the ankle than to play back-to-back, you know, doubleheader this weekend? And look, he'll take more deep shots than Gardner Minshew will. That's for sure. Why not? Like so brace your eyes. It's going to be an offensively challenged game, um, a which I never understood, by the way, when, when it's, um you, you know, you get a pitcher's duel in baseball, right, when it's a low-scoring game. Why it's called a defensive struggle, I never understood. The defense is not struggling. But anytime it's like a 3 nothing game in the third quarter, it's, oh, it's a defensive struggle. We got to change that. Right? Is that just me? Am I, am I crazy here? Be an offensive struggle. Yeah. I'm not saying it wrong, right? Is that like that's what – No, it's, it's – you're right. I mean, that's – yeah, I, I think it does have a – gives you a little bit of bad connotation there. Uh, but this is – however you want to term it, uh, I think the most shocking thing – on Sunday won't be the winner. It will be if one team or another lights up the scoreboard. I think that would be the most stunning development. If we get three total touchdowns between the two teams, I would be surprised. I would truly be surprised. That would be a big, unless Jonathan Taylor just puts on that Cape. I mean, that that's, that's one way it could happen, but him and Amari Cooper, one of those two will determine this game. It is going to be an offensive struggle. On Sunday, we are both taking the Browns in a very low-scoring game here on Sunday as the Colts do look to go to 4-3 and three in the season and keep their playoff hopes alive. Again, first game without um, first game without Grover Stewart as he is serving the first of six games for a PED suspension. Again, as a reminder, we'll be live after the game, win or loss, offensive touchdowns or not. Damn it, we will be there. You better be there as well. Only one place to find us, YouTube. Blue Horseshoe Podcast, subscribe to the YouTube page. Then you can find our live post-game reaction show after the game, breaking all breaking down the details of every single game on Sunday live. Get your feedback in the comments as well. So check us out, Blue Horseshoe Podcast on YouTube is where we will find you and talk to you next on Sunday after the game. Enjoy your weekend. Have a good one, and we'll talk to you on Sunday post-game right here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast.